Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace. Welcome to all of you from my side as well. Um, all of you here live and then all of you joining us via the, the, the YouTube streaming as well. Nice to see you guys. Um, wonderful to have you all here. And it's, there really is just something special about... Um, about uh, worshiping together, we actually physically together. It, it, it is just different, right? It is just special in in so many ways. Leanne was telling me before the service, she she can she can handle you know sermons on YouTube, but but she needs worship to be like live and face to face. And there is really something special about it. So thanks, uh, Leanne and the band for leading us in worship. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it was just really special, even uh, like Alex said, even though, you know, I was sitting there and, and the singing from behind was muffled and so on, um, it was special. And I could really experience that, um, that it was glorifying God, that it was pleasing to God's heart. So the, <clears throat> the past while, past a couple of months, I've been talking a bit about um, uh, purpose from the first couple of chapters from Genesis. And I just want to sort of finish that off uh, this morning. And... I've had um, quite a few, as a pastor, obviously you can imagine that I see a lot of people uh, who are in distress or people who um, are, are really just need counsel and pastoral care and input in their lives. And I love that. That's one of the things I love. Just by the way, if you were wondering, you're not bothering me if you say to me any, I just want to come and see you and pray with you and, and chat to you. I, I really like that. You can ask, you know, Ruan and a few other guys who regularly make use of that. I really do enjoy that. So um, you're most welcome to, to uh, you know, book appointment with me if you, if you need that. I, I, I really do enjoy seeing God help people get through challenges and problems. Um, and, and often you need someone from the outside who can, who can just see things in a different perspective and, and, and tell you how God sees things and, and just show you again the hope in your situation that it's, that, um, yes, it might be bad, but, but God is greater and stronger and bigger than our challenges and our, uh, and our problems. Um, but I've had quite a few conversations that go something like this. Uh, throughout the years, you know, someone, a lady will come to me and say, I'm a 30 something years old, uh, woman. I have three different children from two different men. I've had multiple abortions, which I feel very guilty about. I'm a drug addict and I can't hold down a job or, or maintain a healthy relationship. Um, I'm a terrible mother. I've, and I feel bad about that. I, I've no hope. I feel bad about myself. And, I just wish someone had told me what life was about. I just wish that someone had told me that the purpose of my life is not about me. I just wish that someone had told me as I was growing up that the purpose of my life is not to just have as much fun as possible and not with no concern about the consequences. Because that's how I lived. I lived as though the purpose of life was just to have as much fun as possible and, you know, forget about the consequences. And I jumped from one, you know, sexual relationship, you know, ca- casual sex relationship to the other. Um, I partied. I used drugs. I, I drank. I, I didn't take anything seriously. I didn't take school seriously. I didn't take the opportunities I got seriously. Um, I, I was just living for fun because that's what I thought the purpose of life was. And I, and I just wish someone had told me what, what, what life was really about. And, and why I mentioned that is because I want you to see that 
this issue of purpose that we're talking about is not just a theoretical issue. It's not just a issue of, um, you know, in theory, this is your purpose. It has very real and very intense consequences. Um, there's a saying, I hope you can see it up there on the screen, um, the misunderstanding of purpose inevitably leads to abuse. And, and that's the problem with when we do not know our purpose. When we do not know our purpose, and, and that's what, you know, people like that lady were saying to me, I didn't know my purpose, and I ended up abusing my own life without even realizing it. And other people abused me, but I didn't realize that. They were using me for something that I was not created for, something that was not my purpose. And the consequences were bad. I got it. The people around me got it. I'm broken because of it. And um, it's important that we know, know that. The, one of the first misunderstandings we often have about purpose is we think that we can create our own purpose. And we cannot. Just like a spade cannot create its own purpose. A spade was created for a purpose. Okay? The spade cannot decide my purpose is this or that or the other thing. The, the person who invented it decided the spade is there to dig. That's what a spade is for. That's its purpose. Okay? So we cannot create our own purpose. We need... <clears throat> and what we're learning from Genesis is that the Creator, God the Creator, created us for a purpose. He intended us for a purpose. He had something in, in, in mind for us when he created us. And, and he created us in such a way that we function best when we fulfill that purpose. When we walk in line, when we align ourselves with that purpose. That's when we flourish. That's when we function best. Um, the second thing is that, the second misconception is that purpose is all about me. So, so often I hear people say, I want to know what my purpose is. Because I want to, you know, I, I want to feel good about myself. Now, feeling good about yourself, you will. If you, if you walk in your purpose, you, th- there will be a peace. There will be a, f- things are right. There will be a feeling good about yourself. But that's a byproduct. Because purpose is not about you. <laughs> that's very important. Um, I mean, the implication of purpose is that you can only really have a purpose if you're a means to an end. Have you ever thought about that? A spade has a purpose because it's a means to an end. And that end is not itself. That end is to dig ditches for whatever other reason. Okay? The, the, the purpose of anything is to do something and benefit someone outside of itself. So purpose inherently cannot be self-centered and selfish. It has to be selfless. It, you have to admit and make peace with the fact that in order to have purpose, I must become a means to an end. And that end is not me. And for us as human beings, as, as, as normal human beings, and, and we all share this trait as human beings, we have a tendency to want to be self-centered and self-absorbed and selfish. I mean, that's what, uh, what human nature is like. Um, we tend towards that direction. By trying to focus too much on ourselves, we end up 
moving away from our purpose without realizing it and becoming very unhappy and even getting hurt. A misunderstanding of purpose inevitably leads to abuse. And then another thing that we saw is that if you consistently live in a way that is contrary to your purpose, you eventually break. And and that's true for anything. If you consistently use something in a way that is contrary to its purpose, it eventually breaks. I mean, ladies, you know, you know, that time, those times that you didn't have a hammer in the house and you went to your cupboard and you took out that high heel shoe. And, and, and you try knocking the nail with that high heel shoe, you know. If you do that enough times, eventually the, the shoe breaks. Because that's not its purpose. It wasn't created to be a hammer. Okay, It can function as a hammer for a while, but eventually it breaks. And it's the same with us. If we consistently live in a way that is contrary to our purpose, we eventually break. We get damaged. We get hurt. Um, And therefore it's important to talk about purpose, to know what our purpose is, so we can constantly live in line with our purpose, so that we don't break, so that we don't get hurt. And know not only what our purpose is, but know what the people around us, what their purpose is, so that we can help them to live in line with it so that they will not break. So living in line with your nature and purpose is what allows you to flourish. Now, there's another misconception about purpose here. And this is the misconception that purpose is somehow restricting and that Living in line with my purpose will stifle me and hold me back and frustrate me. And that is not true. Living in line with your purpose will not stifle you or limit you or frustrate you any more than, you know, for a fish to be limited to water. Yes, in a sense it is limiting, but it's a good limiting. It's a healthy limiting. It's a safe limiting. And ultimately, it's not a frustrating limiting. Yes, there are certain things outside of our purpose that we should avoid, but those are the things that are harmful to us. Just like getting out of water is harmful to a fish. So, a misunderstanding of purpose inevitably leads to abuse. If we think, if we misunderstand our purpose as being limiting and frustrating and stifling, we'll try and move outside of it, But that's when we'll get frustrated, ironically. That's when we'll be limited. A fish is very limited when it's outside of water. (laughs) And we are very limited, and we eventually get very frustrated and very hurt when we move outside of our purpose for which we created. And then finally, um, and and this is something I I just want to really emphasize. We looked at at our purpose, and we we said, um, according to Genesis, Our main purpose, sort of the summary of our purpose, is that we are, God created us to be dependent representatives of Him. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So we created to be dependent representatives, continuously dependent on Him, reflecting Him, but not, not, I mean, in a limited sense, in uh, in, in the sense that where God is unlimited, He's not dependent on anything. We are supposed to reflect God's image and represent God, but in a limited way. In other words, in in dependence on God himself. We cannot be like God without God. Remember I said that? That's quite a big revelation. You can say amen there. You cannot be like God without God. You've got to, if you want to be like God, you've got to be dependent on God. 
I mean, that's what the snake showed us, because that's what the snake tempted Adam and Eve to do. You can disobey God and become more like Him by disobeying Him, by being, being less dependent on Him. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the deception, that you can become like God without God. That you can be like God without God. You can't. We can't. Okay? Um, but then we broke it down into different sections. We said we can be like, we can represent God in our um, relating. God said, let us make man in our image. God is a, a, sing, a singularity, but also a plurality. He's three in one. He's a divine family. He's one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's relationship. There has always, from all of eternity past, there's been relationship within the Trinity. And we are called to be like him in the sense that we are created. It's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2 verse 18. I'll make him a helper, suitable, comparable to him. Uh, we, we're called to represent God in our relating. We're called to represent God in our ruling. God says, let us make man in our image. Let them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue, rule over it. We're supposed to rule as God, the earth as God would have ruled it, as God's dependent representative. Um, we're supposed to represent God <clears throat> in what I called reforming. The, the whole of creation, God, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then the rest is, to a very large extent, God reforming. So, so he created everything out of nothing, but then he started in creation week reforming what he'd already created, calling the trees and, and the animals and the, and the plants and the fish and the birds and all that out of creation. It, it says he, he made them out of the ground. He made us out of the ground. So, so in a sense, he was reforming what was already there. Okay, And why did he do it in six days? And why did he do it in that way? I mean, he, you know, someone said, uh, you know, I, I saw this little cartoon about um, a boy and a girl, and, and, the, and the little girl said to the, to the, to the boy, you know, God, God, do you know God created the heavens and the earth in six days? <clears throat> and the little boy looked at her and said, why did it take so long? <laughs> Because often, you know, with, with a modern, you know, mindset, people think, you know, it, it, it must have taken a lot longer. I mean, he could have done it in six seconds. Why did he do it in six days? To set us an example. This is how we must reform creation. And all of your works, in some way or another, you're taking parts of creation and reforming it. In imitation of God. Whether it's physical stuff, um, you know, like, you know, electronic components to make computers and stuff. Whether it's, um, you know, taking life experience and, and musical instruments and putting them together in songs that glorify God. Whether it's, you know, taking children that you have given birth to and raising them, cultivating them, caring for them. It's, it's, it's all the same. It's, it's in a sense cultivating and caring for creation and bringing the best out of creation. And God has, and recognizing that God has put so much more in creation and he's put it there, and he hasn't extracted all of it in the creation week so that we can discover it, extract it, and use it. Reform it and use it for good. Use it in ways that will represent him. Um, and then also resting. God rested on the seventh day. So it's, uh, you know, relating, ruling, reforming, resting like God rested, and resting in God's complete work. And then the one that we're going to look at today is reproducing. God said, let us make man in our image. God, in a sense, in a limited sense, reproduced himself. And we can reproduce 
the image of God in, uh, in, in, in many ways. We can reproduce like God reproduced. So, sorry, I forgot to put that up on the screen. I don't know why the thing went off, but um, there's just a little diagram if you want to draw it to, to sort of remind you of that. Okay, so, so let me just quickly go through through a, a few verses in Genesis, um, the first few chapters of Genesis about this. If you look at Genesis 1, you'll see the phrase, <clears throat> according to their kinds, appears nine times in Genesis 1. In verse 11, 12, 21, 24, and 25. Nine times it appears, according to their kinds. In other words, God created everything, whether it's the plants, whether it's the animals, and whether it's us as human beings. God created everything to reproduce according to its own kind. Now, that, that's a very interesting idea and a... Um, very powerful idea. Let me just see if I can. There we go. Um, let us, um, and, and he said he created the plants, the animals, everything to reproduce according to their kinds. Each one according to their kinds. Now, now that's a, a an idea. Um, Modern, many modern people struggle with because, um, in fact, many modern people will believe that this is not accurate. Um, many modern people believe in evolution. Maybe even some of you believe in, in evolution and believe that, no, everything doesn't produce according to its kind. You can actually produce, you know, things can actually produce stuff that are beyond its kind. Um, and, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to really get into, uh, into the whole, um, debate about Creation and, and evolution too deeply, but the reality is, if you think about it, not be gullible and let other people do their thinking for you. But if you think about it for yourself, has there ever been a case that we have empirically observed, scientifically empirically observed? Remember, science is all about um, observable, repeatable experiments. Okay, has there ever been in the few at least thousands of years of human history where we have observed something giving birth or reproducing something that is not of its kind. Where we've, where we've seen cats giving birth to dogs. Or sunflowers producing millies. Or mice producing giraffes. Or fish producing Birds. I mean, I, I know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking, do we speculate that it's possible? I'm asking, have we ever observed it? Has anyone ever observed it? What have we observed? We've observed exactly what this text says. Throughout thousands of years, I, I don't know of a single case that people can point to where they say, here was one organism, it reproduced itself into another organism that was not of its kind. I've never seen that. I've never seen one example of that. In, in other words, you know, whatever science may say and speculate about and, and, and do inferences of, our actual observation confirms what this says, that we produce after our own kind. Um, Charles Darwin, when he wrote his 
um, famous book, infamous book for many, The Origin of Species, he said that if his theory of evolution by natural selection is true, then they'll find uh, in the years to come, in the fossil record and so on, they'll find millions and millions of transitional fossils that close all the gaps in the fossil fossil record. And um, some of you might have seen pictures like this, you know, where... Let me see if I can um, draw on this thing. Um, where the idea is that everything, that, that was Darwin's idea, everything started from, you know, one organism... And, and then you get the, the so-called evolutionary tree over here, you know, where, where everything starts producing things that are not according to its kind, and then, you know, you have all kinds of variation. Um, but what, what Genesis says, um, and, and what, what, we've, what we actually physically and empirically observe is that there's not an evolutionary tree, but there's a, there's a creational orchard of trees, <laughs> Where there is variation, uh, I mean, there is variation, but it's within a kind. So, for instance, the the dog, wolf, coyote, um, fox, jackal, or jackal kind are all part of the dog kind, and there's variation, massive variation within that kind. Okay, and and you can breed dogs, and you can come up with eventually a Great Dane that's this big and a little chihuahua that that small and they can that you've you've <laughs> you've interbred them so many times and bred them so far apart that they can no longer interbreed anymore but they're still both of the dog kind okay so we see all of that and, and I think nowadays in evolution they've they've recognized that one this evolutionary tree doesn't work and they've sort of started incorporating ideas of multiple <laughs> sources They've had to because it just doesn't work. So you've had to change it. Now you've got this this strange briar, you know, and horizontal transfer and all kinds of weird ideas um, in there. But but the problem is they, they when you look at them scientifically and and when you don't look at them gullibly, wanting them to be true, you find that they're also still problematic. Um, the the point I'm I'm trying to make here, and the, the main point I'm trying to say is that. Um, our observation tells us that what, what Genesis says about us is true. We produce after our own kind. Okay? Now, that becomes a bit of a problem. In Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let me just see if I have that scripture up here somewhere. There we go. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Then uh, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. Uh, um, I remember once I was at a, 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 there was this marriage enrichment, I think it was a camp, it was a course, but I think it was on a camp, um, where Pastor William Corizon, who was part of Shofar in the early days, um, he was this, this uh, real sort of fatherly figure 
you know, in, in, in the church. And, and, and he was doing, you know, the, the marriage teaching, him and his wife, I think. Um, and, and he said, you know, God commanded us. That's actually the first command given in the Bible, you know. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. And, and he says, God never has never revoked it. <laughs> God commanded it and he never revoked it. That's a command that God never said, this is no longer applicable. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he commanded us to fill the earth. So, Tian, are you filling the earth? <laughs> What's your excuse? You know, you're supposed to obey that scripture. You're supposed to get married and start filling the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Tuba, come on, brother. <laughs> you go, you go, yeah, exactly. You know, you gotta, you gotta take a wife. You gotta start filling the earth. You know, huh? hey, Ining, hey, you're sitting there looking at Tuba, but <laughs> same goes for you, right? <laughs> Ladies, can I get an amen there? <laughs> I say it a bit tongue in cheek, um, but um, the. The reality is um, God did command us to fill the earth. But when he commanded, notice that when God gave that command to be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth, he gave it to Adam and Eve, to two human beings, number one, who were created in his image and in whom his image had not yet been tainted or tarnished. Okay? That's the first thing. Secondly, he said it to two human beings whom just before he said it, he had blessed. And it says, and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. So when they increased, they would increase the blessing. In fact, what is blessing? I've mentioned this before, but let me just mention it for those who might have uh, missed it. Blessing is God's supernatural influence, his supernatural positive influence on that which reflects his image and pleases him and which he wants to increase and multiply. Cursing is the opposite. It's God's supernatural negative influence on that which does not reflect his image and does not please him, which he wants to decrease. Which he doesn't want to increase or multiply, but which he wants to decrease and become less. So, not only were they in the image of God, untainted image of God, but they were blessed. So they would increase and multiply the image of God and they would increase the blessing that was on them because of that. And not only that, but God says to to Adam and Eve, let me just see if I can find that that text here. Here we go. God, remember I said in previous sessions, God created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens there is plural because it includes not only the physical heavens with the sky and the sun, moon, and stars and uh, out there, but also the spiritual heavens. Um, in other words, there's, there's the, 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 the physical and the spiritual, the seen and the unseen. So he created the heavens and the earth, and everything else was created on earth and in, only in the physical realm. But when God created man, it says... Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, the physical, the seen, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spiritual, the unseen, and man became a living being. So we as human beings are unique in the sense that we, we sort of straddle the seen and the unseen, the, the, the physical and the spiritual. And in that sense we can um, create God. And we have life on two levels. We have life not only in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. God breathed the breath of life in us, into us. We have God's life inside of us. 
And, if, and Adam and Eve were not only physically alive, they were spiritually alive. <clears throat> and we saw when, when God creates fish, he speaks to the water. When he creates plants, he speaks to the land. When he creates humans, he speaks to himself. When you take a fish out of water, he dies. When you take a plant out of the ground, he dies. When you take mankind out of God, we die. So what happened, and, and that's what God says. He says here, And the Lord God commanded man, you, shall, you, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And, and what it does there, what it says there, which is typically of, of Hebrew, when it wants to emphasize something, it repeats it. So literally it says, dying you will die. And that's why your, your translation will translate it, certainly die. Because it is emphatic. But I, I wonder if it's not something more than that. Because, notice it says here, when you eat of it, and, and literally it says in the day that you eat of it, you will, dying you will die. Okay, but when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, now what, what were they doing when they ate of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They were saying, God, we're no longer going to be dependent on you. Like a plant that is planted in the soil, we are basically pulling ourselves out of the soil. Spiritually, we are planted in you, but spiritually we're pulling ourselves out of you because we no longer want to be dependent on you to tell us what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. We're going to decide for ourselves. We're no longer going to be rooted in you. So that's what they were saying. And then God said, when you do that, you will certainly die, or dying you will die. Now they didn't die physically, But they were no longer spiritually rooted in God and therefore they died spiritually. So what, isn't it possible that God was saying dying spiritually, you will eventually also die physically? And that's exactly what happened. Yes, it took a few hundred years. Adam became, I think, 930 years old. So it took a few hundred years before the spiritual death that was already a reality in, on the inside of him eventually manifested in physical death. On the outside. But it was inevitable it happened. Dying he did die. So in other words. Not only <clears throat> did God give that command. To be fruitful. Increase in number. And fill the earth. To people who were created in his image. And in whom his image was untainted. Not only did he give it to people who were blessed. And who by increasing would increase that blessing. Multiply that blessing. But he gave it to people who were both physically alive and spiritually alive. But every human being after the fall, after, metaphorically speaking, Adam and Eve uprooted themselves from God, they were born with the image of God tainted and tarnished inside of them. They were born, because remember, what did God do? The land was cursed. Humans were cursed. The snake was cursed. The curse came instead of the blessing because of that. So instead of a blessing, there was now a curse that would be multiplied. And not only that, but every human being born after Adam and Eve's fall were born physically alive but spiritually dead. With one notable exception. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he 
will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So where the problem is that now we reproduce what is not uh, something that still has the image of God, but the image of God is tainted. Something that is not as blessed as it should be. We are not as blessed as we should be. In fact, there's a lot of cursing upon us that we multiply. We are physically dead, but spiritually, uh, spiritually uh, physically alive, but spiritually dead. In other words, there's a problem in our reproduction, our reproducing of ourselves. God says the solution is also in the reproducing. It's also in the offspring. It's not like you'll produce many offspring that'll be great. It says there'll be one, a he, born of a woman, who will break that cycle of a tarnished image of God, of the curse and of physical life but spiritual death. We know, obviously looking back, that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who was born of a woman. He's the seed of the woman. But notice, it doesn't say he'll be the seed of the man. It says the offspring of the woman. (laughs) Very first messianic prophecy. Well, explicit messianic prophecy in Scripture. And he was born, and what was conceived inside of Mary... 2,000 years, odd years ago, was of the Holy Spirit. And the image of God was not tarnished in him. The curse didn't rest upon him. And he was born not only physically alive, but spiritually alive, to give humanity a new start. And that's why Paul calls him the second Adam. The one who makes a new beginning. The one who makes a new beginning that is in line with the purpose of God for humanity. What God purposed us for from the beginning, all along. And it's important that we realize that our purpose in terms of reproducing is not to reproduce ourselves. Now you can only reproduce yourself. But our purpose is not to reproduce ourselves because what we can reproduce in ourselves is not all that good. Our purpose is to reproduce the image of God. Because if we think, I need to reproduce myself, that's my purpose. Anyone can do it. You know, anyone can just sort of, you know, get a spouse and say, okay, let's reproduce. Let's, (laughs) I always laugh because at that camp, Pastor William said, you know, um, when, when, you, when you get married and you start reproducing, you're doing the will of God because God commanded it and he's never revoked that. <laughs> so, so it became sort of a tradition in, in many shofar circles that, you know, um, sort of code, code language, you know, when, when, when a husband and wife, you know, they'll say, let's, let's, let's go to bed and go and do the will of God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Married couples, you're welcome to take that and use that if you want to. (laughs) But if you think my purpose is to reproduce myself, then you can say, well, I can do that. That's not that difficult. But if you realize my purpose is to reproduce the image of God, then you have to say, well, I need the help of the seed of the woman. I need the help of Jesus, the only one who is truly, again, in the image of God. And who can truly reproduce the image of God in a way that is blessed, physically alive and spiritually alive. The second Adam. Okay, so um, let me just end off with this. 
it's actually remember you can only reproduce you can you can only reproduce what what you are and that's why we must come to Jesus and allow him to reproduce the image of God in us and then through us he can use us to reproduce the image of God in other people as well and that's why I, uh, you know Jesus and Paul who are probably the not only the greatest two people in the Bible, but the greatest two people in human history, they could fulfill the purpose, this purpose of God by and reproduce the image of God without ever being married. Because the, the ultimate fulfillment of this, I mean, obviously you can do it through childbearing and, and then discipling those children and allowing Jesus to save them and make them spiritually alive and restore the image of God in them. And, and we all trust that for our, for our children. But People don't have to be your children, your biological children, for you to be able to do that. In fact, the the command, the equivalent, the New Covenant, New Testament equivalent of that command to be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, here's the trick, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's me that you're reproducing as you go to make disciples, not yourself. And that's why you reproduce the image of God when you make disciples. Because it's Jesus who is through us reproducing himself in others. Think about this. Just think how powerful this is. And I want to close with this. You can count the seeds in a forest you cannot count the forests in a seed. Remember we spoke about the the evolutionary tree versus the creational orchard? You can count the seeds in an orchard. It might take you a while because there might be quite a bit of seeds. I mean, every fruit will have seeds in it. And you can open up those fruit, take out the seeds and count them all. So you can literally count all the seeds in an orchard. Might be a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand. You can count the seeds in an orchard, but you cannot count the orchards in a seed. Because that seed can reproduce itself so many times into trees that produce more trees that produce more trees and more orchards and more orchards. And that is the astonishing power in this power of, in this ability to reproduce. Think what the world will be like. If we allow Jesus, the seed of the woman, to reproduce the image of God through us so many times out there in the world, what the world would be like as it becomes more and more filled with those who reflect the image of God more, more and more accurately, who are blessed and who increase the blessing and who are not only physically alive but spiritually alive. That is a big part of our purpose, a massive part of our purpose. And, and I want you to notice this. You don't have to have a specific job or position to fulfill that purpose. You can reflect the image of God and reproduce the image of God through Christ Jesus, no matter what your job description is. I hear so many people saying to me, oh, you know, I'm so frustrated. I don't know, you know, what my purpose is. I want to go and fulfill my purpose. You, you know, 
I'm, I'm so frustrated with the job I'm in. You can fulfill the purpose of God right now in the job you're in, right now. Whether you're a, 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 a homemaker, whether you're a teacher, whether you're um, a civil engineer that's designing buildings, whether you're a, a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you are, you can fulfill the purpose of God right now, right where you are. In other words, the good news is you don't have to wait for your purpose. <laughs> you don't have to wait until you have a different job or a different position to fulfill your purpose. Because that's what we often think. No, you don't have to wait. You can fulfill it, fulfill it right here, right now. Yes, and God might give you different positions where you might fulfill it more um, effectively. But you can fulfill it right where you are. Don't wait for your purpose. Don't say, oh, one day when I have that job, then I'll be able to fulfill my purpose. No, you can fulfill it right now. Don't wait for your purpose. You can fulfill your purpose wherever you are, anytime. Does that make sense? Is that exciting? I think it is. So often we're waiting for something that we shouldn't be waiting for, something that we should already be walking in. Yes, we walk in it imperfectly, but we can walk in it. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.